The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. The word of God speaks to us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. All right, rowdy group today. 11.34 and ready to go. Um, hey, listen, my name is Chad Kinser, and I serve as one of our pastors in our downtown congregation and I serve as teaching pastor there, which means occasionally I get to get around to our other congregations outside of downtown and, uh, and step in and share the word of God. So today I get to do that because Chad Puckett, the true and better Chad, as I like to call him, is out on vacation. And uh, your other teaching pastor here, Jeff Nine, is in India on a, on a trip. And so uh, I've sort of drew the third straw today. So I'm, I'm here with you guys, uh, and I'm glad to, to do that. <clears throat> so if you are new or visiting, let me catch you up to speed what we're doing. We are currently in week two of a three-week series on feminine virtue. Uh, this is launching out of two weekends ago, a conference we had downtown where 700 women across all of our congregations in our city came together to have a weekend of prayer and of singing together and sitting under God's word to think about what it meant to, what it means to follow Jesus uniquely as women uh, and biblical womanhood. And so this series is born out of that. Uh, last year, we did something on masculine virtue, and so we're mirroring this because we want to take seriously what it means to follow Jesus as men, or in this case, in this series, as, as women, as sisters. And, um, and I realize as we step into this series, I just want to, a couple of things before we pray today, that to talk about the idea of gender, or to talk about gender, which I would say is more than an idea, it's a, it's a, it's a thing, um, to answer questions like, what is a man?, or what is a woman like? To even venture into this conversation is a hotly contested thing in our culture. To even approach this conversation, you can already just assume you're going to make enemies by, by doing this, you know. And I want you to know that, like, as a church, we don't, we're not leaning into this 
to, to lean into controversy for the sake of controversy. In fact, I don't think that I'll say anything today that you'll have too big a problem with, but I just know that when we talk about womanhood and manhood and uh, to follow Jesus distinctly as we've received those things from God um, is, is hotly contested ground. But here's what I wanna make clear and what we're saying as a church. It might be hotly contested ground in culture, but when it comes to scripture, this is holy ground. This is holy ground in scripture. And when I say that is because gender is not a mere cultural construct like some would tell you it is. Gender is not a cultural construct. Gender is a divine institution. It's a divine institution. Male and female are first God's idea. They're God's idea. And to be made one or the other, the reason it's such a big deal is it hits at the core level of human dignity it hits at the core level of human flourishing, how we're to understand ourselves and like thrive as in our, in our life. But it also hits at the core level of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Scripture says that we're made in the image of God. And so the question really for us becomes, will we rightly bear the image of God? Will we do it? You're made in the image of God. The question becomes, though, will you rightly bear that image? And that's what we're taking up in this series. And so if you please pray for me, I'll pray for you. Last week we talked about women as life givers. Today we'll talk about women as sisters. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our God, we confess that Jesus is Lord. And we make that confession today asking that you would give us a lot of grace because we confess that imperfectly. We come after our Lord Jesus imperfectly. We come after him stumbling oftentimes. And so we need you to fill us. We need you to help us. Holy Spirit, we need you to like give us the gift of your presence and meet us in our stories today. Meet us in our own discipleship today. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Well, my kids, I've got four kids, uh, 12 down to six. The older two are girls. The younger two are boys. And the gift of their ages right now, honestly, for my wife and I, amongst uh, many other things, is they're old enough to stay at home by themselves. All right, so we can get out and go run some errands or we can get out and go on a date or whatever and we can leave them at home. We don't have to sort of look for a sitter. It's a help on the, on the bank account, but it's also a real help and convenience. We can just sort of get out. And so one of the things that's interesting though is, is we're doing this more and more is uh, every time we'll say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna go out and run an errand or we're gonna go out on a date or something. Um, my six-year-old is always like, got it, got it. You know, like he's like, I'm man of the house, got it, you know. Um, uh, but what's interesting is that, you know, they, they'll take the cue, they understand the role, and they understand, like, you know, the whole plan uh, of how things are supposed to go down while we're gone. But the boys will always ask, the boys will always ask, are the girls going to be here? Meaning their sisters. Are the sisters going to be here? And, like, they're, they're so adamant about it. They're like, okay, I got everything. I, can know, I know all that you're supposed to ask me to do, but are the girls going to be here? Are the sisters going to be here? You know, they're asking this. And initially, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, what are you so worried about, you know? They're the younger ones. I get it. But also, like, the sisters are going to be here. Um, but the more and more that they're saying that, I recognize that they're calling forward something that they would know how to put words to, but they're recognizing that when the girls are there, when the sisters are there, there's a stability that's offered. There's, there's a kind of comfort that's offered. There's a kind of strength that's offered. And anyone who has a family unit recognizes that that's true in the home. When the girls are present, especially ones where you have sisters in the house, there's a stability present there. There's actually a more dignity there. We tell better jokes when the girls are present there. 
That's true in a biological family. It's also true in the world. Our world is better for sisterly presence. Our world is better for feminine presence, but it's also especially true, and we're going to talk about today, in the church. And so we're going to talk about the essence of womanhood in terms of this relationship of sister. And what I mean by that, what we're talking about today, when you press that out, what we're driving at is spiritual family. What we're driving around is spiritual friendship as God designed it in Jesus. And Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew chapter 12. There's a moment, we'll put it on the screens, where Jesus redefines how we understand family around the kingdom of God. Notice what happens here. It says that while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told them, so this crowd is around, they, his family can't get to him, they're asking for him. And so he tells this, tells this man who lets him know that mom is asking for him, and he gives this Messiah flex, who is my mother? No one else can say that in the history of the world, right? If mom's asking for you, you can't go, who is my mother? Jesus does this. And where are, who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand to his disciples, he says this, here are my mother and my brothers, and whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus redefines the understanding of family around the kingdom of God. Even Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian uh, during World War II times, come out and says it this way. Christian brotherhood, speaking of family, is not merely an ideal into which we must realize. Rather, it is a reality that's created by God. So he's saying this isn't like a sentimental thing that we manifest. This is actually a reality, a material crystallized reality created by God in Christ by which we must participate. So when we talk about in the church using familial terms like brother or sister, these aren't sentimental things or throwaway things that you sort of say to be, make things warm or what you say when you don't know someone's name. Hey, brother. Like, that's not what we're doing. It's not like, oh, you look so beautiful today. Sister, I would say your name if I knew it, you know. That's not what's happening here. Instead, what's happening is this is something essential. There's actually now a common bloodline that we all bear that comes from Jesus that flows down from Calvary's cross. We'll be family together forever under him. And so who women are as sisters and what women bring as sisters, I want you to hear, is vital for the whole life of the church. It's absolutely vital. A redeemed sister is a powerful force in the hand of God for the sanctification, not just of other women in the church, as they sharpen one another, and not just of younger women in the church, as older women bear witness of example in following Jesus, but a redeemed sister is a powerful tool in the hand of God to redeem brothers in the church. We're all better, I think we could all probably say this in the room, we're all better for the presence of women and sisters in our lives that have showed us what it is to follow after Jesus. And so I can't think of a better expression of this in scripture than the one that's playing out between the two pregnant cousins that were read about in the passage from Luke chapter one just moments ago. We're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And what we're seeing in this passage is them operating as spiritual sisters at the beginning of Luke's gospel. And what we have in Luke 1, with sort of the setting for all of this, is a unique moment in history. And I think you can even argue it is sort of the unique moment in history. God is entering into the world through the incarnation, and Jesus is present in this passage, albeit behind the baby bump of a teenage girl. 
He's present in this passage to change everything. And the woman that's on the other side of this interaction is also miraculously present with a son who will be John the Baptist who lived and died pointing the way for Jesus. So it's not a stretch to say that while we're talking about sistering today and sisterhood, it's not a stretch to say that this sermon is actually about Jesus. This is a Jesus-centered sermon as it should be in the Christian church because he's the one who dramatically changes not just the way that these two women relate to one another, but he changes the way that you and I understand ourselves and relate to one another. And so what I wanna do today is just sort of give you a sketch of this passage, a sketch of this narrative, and then sort of just gives a few observations of what we see happening in these ladies and then commend their faith to you, commend their faith to you. And so getting into the passage, <clears throat> you gotta have a sense of all this because some wild stuff happening here. In Luke chapter one, verses five to 25, there's this moment where an angel, the angel Gabriel appears to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. He's a priest, he's an old man. He and Elizabeth are old men and women. Uh, the passage even says that the angel confirms that to him. When an angel tells you you're old, you're old, you know, sort of a thing. And he shows up to him and he says, hey, even though you're super old and your wife is beyond menopause, you're gonna have a baby boy. You're gonna have a baby boy. And God's gonna use him to ready the people of God for the arrival of the Messiah. This was shocking news to old man Zechariah. Shocking news. And yet he trusted. Elizabeth trusted. And part of the drama around this announcement from the angel is this comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth, not just in old age, but this comes to them after decades of weeping and sorrow because of infertility. Decades of unanswered prayers longing for a child, longing for the day to be pregnant, longing for the day for Elizabeth to experience the joy of motherhood and just not getting those prayers answered. And yet now, in an unsuspecting time in life, they get this news. That's the first part of the drama. The second part of the drama starts in verse 26, when the same angel, Gabriel, who gives the word to Zechariah and Elizabeth, now shows up to a teenage girl named Mary. And he gives her similar news about a coming pregnancy, but it's entirely different circumstances. Again, she's a teenager, much younger. She's not married, and she's never had sex with a man. And she's completely confused how this is going to happen. In fact, that's exactly what she says to the angel. You know, best I checked in Jewish biology class, it doesn't work that way. Verse 34, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? says back to him. I don't know what kind of confidence you would have in talking to an angel, but that's an interesting thing to say. And yet after a moment to catch her breath, Mary responds with staggering faith. In verse 38, it says that Mary says, I'm a servant of the most high God, and whatever you say he's going to do to me, let it be done. I give him my yes. And so these are the two women and their situations that are presented to us in this passage. And both, both of them are willing to put their identity on the line and their reputation on the line just to say yes to God in this. There's a lot of ridicule that Mary faced for being a woman out of wedlock and for Joseph to stay with her in all of this. They're, they're, putting, they're saying yes to God and there's a lot of ridicule that's coming their way. And so apparently what happens in the narrative 
is that Elizabeth getting pregnant first, word traveled back through, you know, she lives in a different region than Mary does, word travels back through family or some other means, and Mary gets word that her older cousin is also pregnant. Now, she knows that Elizabeth is pregnant, but Elizabeth doesn't know that Mary's pregnant because she's the one who got pregnant first. And so Mary says, okay, maybe she can help me. And so she goes off, it says, and visits her. And what I want to point out here is that Mary, Mary wasn't just going to visit a cousin. She was going to visit a mighty woman of valor. She knew who she was going to visit. Verse 6 tells us in chapter 1 that Elizabeth was a righteous woman. She was a righteous woman. You see, what was happening in Elizabeth is Mary was going to visit someone who had been practicing for decades to keep putting her yes back on the table with God. Think of, again, just to bring up her infertility, years of prayers unanswered, years of frustration, years of wondering where the heck is God? In that cultural moment, to be a barren woman was to bear the reproach of culture and have the stigma that you were under some sort of curse from God and your womb, your empty womb was the fruit of that. Chapter one even goes on to tell us that when she gets pregnant, she prays back to God and she says, you've, you've removed my reproach. This was a woman who was like textured in giving her yes to God, who's textured in trusting God's character to be enough for her when she had no other moment to recognize whether or not God was actually with her. This is who Mary wanted to go visit. And so I just wanna pause for a second and sort of saying this tender moment in the first service, and I trust God's present here in the same way. But I know that there are some of you here today who like infertility is your story. And to even have some of this talked about, like just swirls up some stuff for you. Just to have this service, this, this topic surfaced. And I wanna pause for a moment here just in telling their story to say, I don't, I don't have an answer for you today. And it'd be stupid to think if I actually did. I don't have a platitude, but what I do want to just to pause and to recognize and what I want you to see is that God sees you. God sees your prayers. God sees your tears. God sees your sorrows. God sees your confusion. God sees your anger and your rage. And here's how I know that's true. Because multiple times, not just in Elizabeth, but multiple times in scripture, he prominently places women who grapple with infertility and miscarriage in the scriptures. And he shows them off both in their faith and both in his faithfulness to them. And I just wanna say that God sees you. God sees you. And this is the woman that Mary runs to in the midst of this wild time. And now the three quick observations I want to give you as we sort of chart through this. The first thing I want you to see is that Elizabeth welcomes her. The welcome and the wisdom of feminine presence. The welcome of Elizabeth, you're going, yeah, well, of course she welcomes her. It's like she's an older cousin or something. Well, it's not just because it was a nice thing to do. The reason that there's a welcome and a wisdom here is because she does so, we're gonna see, with wisdom and strength and peace and care that comes from an older sister's sort of maturity. Pick up in verse 40. It says, and as she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, this is Mary. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, the one that she was carrying, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you, young woman. 
Blessed are you and the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, that's an amazing thing we're gonna come back to in a second, should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's so much that's happening here, but this welcome calls out the uniqueness of feminine design. Did you catch when we read this that Elizabeth had this wisdom that came from a prompting of the Holy Spirit in her welcome to greet her in a kind of way where she didn't have the details about Mary's pregnancy, but all of a sudden she knows she's pregnant? And she's the first one to even call Jesus Lord in the book of Luke, and she does so when he's in embryo, and recognize that something is happening here. There's so much that's going on here. And the observation that I want to call forward is that women just tend to see things and hear things and perceive things that men don't see. Can I get an amen? That's absolutely true. I'm not making a stretch here. I get it. Like the Holy Spirit was doing some stuff to sort of like lean Elizabeth in on some things, but it's true biologically, but it's also true spiritually that women just tend to have a level of discernment and a level of wisdom that's different than men. And there was a hearty amen that came back to me in both services. I'm good to see that's going on here, but there is scientific evidence to prove this. Biological scientific evidence that would show that women are able to see things on color spectrums that men just tend to miss. They're able to hear things in sound frequencies that men happen to miss. And then you take redeemed spirituality. There's all kinds of ways that women tend to discern things, even in the Lord or what's going on in a room where the Lord is present, that just brothers and even elder pastors tend to miss at times. Barbara Mouser and her wonderful biblical theology of womanhood. She writes this, God often renews us through other life givers. That is, he uses women to give fellowship and encouragement to one another. Mary, the mother of our Lord, sought out such fellowship with her cousin Elizabeth by going to visit her for three months. Mary and Elizabeth shared a common faith, a common family, and were experiencing supernatural pregnancies at the same time. Elizabeth was, however, a very special woman for Mary. Elizabeth was not only much older, she was six months further along in her pregnancy. Perhaps they had a deep and long-lasting fellowship with each other over the years, or maybe their pregnancies drew them together for the first time. Either way, she says, they found fellowship and encouragement in one another (coughs) as they walked similar paths. Redeemed life givers will be renewed by the Lord, by men who protect and provide, but also by other women and especially older women. Women can and should be a great source of fellowship, comfort, and understanding, and encouragement and counsel for one another. And so, sisters, I just want you to hear this today. There is a power that God works in you. And there is a power that God works through you when you walk surrendered to Jesus and for the benefit of other people. And I don't use the word power like in a lowercase p way. There's a power about your discipleship. I can think of all kinds of times over 20 years of ministry where God has specifically used my wife or other women in the church to make me aware of blind spots in my own life. Things that like even other pastors that I was confessing my sin to just tended to miss. But women who didn't know the details of my life like came forward and saw some things, blind spots that like God was like, hey, they're right and you ought to repent of that. 
There's also been so many times where God has used women in the church who didn't know the details of my anxiety or details of my depression that have like sensed something in the Holy Spirit and just come over to encourage me and to like lift me up without knowing particularities of my story and they were spot on in the way that God used them to just sort of build me up. Women just tend to see things and perceive things men don't. And the welcome and the wisdom that women bring in their discipleship to Jesus is a powerful ministry that God has given you to walk in that makes everyone around you better. It just makes everyone around you better. And the second thing I want to point out here is the glory of feminine prayer. The glory of feminine prayer. Verses 46 to 55 capture Mary's prayer of praise now that she's like had a moment to like fully receive all that God is bringing to her through this pregnancy. And it's famously known as the Magnificat, but it's a mind-blowing prayer. I'm gonna read it in just a second, sort of in fast form. But it's a mind-blowing prayer. Keep in mind that what we're reading in this prayer comes from a 14-year-old girl, you know, historians estimate. This is a teenage girl That as much as she's pregnant with the Lord Jesus, she's equally pregnant with the promises and the redeeming work of God throughout history. She gets it, and her prayer is littered with it. Listen to the prayer. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit greatly rejoices Rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now, for behold, from now on to all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just like he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This prayer is full of God fulfilling his promises. And there is courage in this girl's prayer. This is a teenage girl who's so courageous, she's praying things like, God, you know, he brings down the mighty and he scatters the thoughts of the proud. Even the rich, those who think they got it apart from God, he sends them away empty. She's confident in the mercy and the help and the filling of God for all those who look to him, even when their circumstances look otherwise. She's confident that God sees this, this young girl knows rock solid that God will keep his word. He can at least be trusted for that. And so there's, there's glory in this feminine prayer that Mary brings forward. But what's amazing about this that I want you to see is this isn't just Mary's prayer. Literally, the Bible is like littered with feminine prayers that consistently move the people of God down the field in worship. You think about Exodus chapter 15, you have the prayer of Miriam, Moses' sister, who leads, she literally leads the nation in worship after they cross the Red Sea. And there's her prayer. You have uh, in 1 Samuel chapter one, Hannah, the mother of Samuel the priest, crying out in her own infertility for God to have mercy on her. And it's prominently featured at the beginning of that book. You have Deborah in the book of Judges who works a great uh, victory for the people of God and then she leads them in worship to God. 
And so the point I want you to see is that consistently there is a ministry of feminine prayers that bless and build God's people. Um, just a couple of nights ago, we had a, a pastor's meeting with our wives, and we were there praying, and I was like, you can tell I'm under like full of the Holy Spirit, but under you know, the overflow of DayQuil and NyQuil or something. That's how I'm coming to you today. And so I was totally drunk on those medications the other night at this prayer meeting, and I was totally distracted and totally just looking for the way out of the meeting. And then I heard my wife's prayers over my shoulder. And um, man, just hearing my wife's prayers, the fervency and the burden she's coming forward with, all of a sudden stirred my heart, stirred my faith, convicted me of my own lack of faith when I pray. I told my wife I was gonna share some of this about that, and she's like, you know what's crazy? And she's like, I know that men, men pray, and there's like, men who are like fervent and prayer warriors. But she's like, as she just anecdotally said, she's like, as I think throughout my life, the people who I have known to be like prayer monsters <laughs> are women. They're women, like women who have held families together, sisters who have fervently prayed for their brother's conversion, Women who have prayed uh, without any of us even knowing for like the planting of churches all over the world, even particularly here in Yukon. I mean, it is crazy the way that God, he uses and he hears everyone's prayers. I'm not trying to say something, but there is a unique glory to feminine prayer. And so sisters, I want you to hear today that your prayers for one another your prayers for your children, your prayers for your husbands, your prayers for your brothers, your prayers for this city, your prayers for this church, your prayers matter. Think about the prayer of Mary prominently featured here in redemptive work. It's amazing. And here's, here's the finish today. The last thing is I want you to see the power of feminine fellowship. The power of feminine fellowship. We still together? I realize you're listening to a, a man drowning in allergic affection here. Or, uh, not affection, infection. It's the opposite of affection. I promise you that. One of the things that's about this whole partnership piece is it's not sort of like explicitly in this text. I can't point to you chapter and verse. But there's a testimony of redeemed sisterhood in the way that Mary and Elizabeth sort of are operating together. I want you just to put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes for a second. Imagine the scenario. You've been pregnant for five, five-ish months or something. <clears throat> and you've been waiting for decades beyond menopause to experience pregnancy. Thought you would never get it and now you got it. You're pregnant. You're trying to wrap your mind around the joys of motherhood that you thought you would experience much earlier in life, but now you're getting them in a, much, a spot in life that's much more difficult, but you're happy nonetheless. God has done something for you. You're going public with the news. You're telling people about it. You're sort of letting the cat out of the bag. Me and Zechariah were pregnant, you know. In the middle of all of that then, your backwoods, unmarried, virgin, teenage cousin shows up and says, me too. Me too. As if almost to like one up your story and steal the thunder. Oh, that's cool. You know, Elizabeth, you know, in your old age, you sort of got pregnant. Well, I'm like a teenager and I haven't had sex yet and I'm, I've got that thing going on too. Sort of like the SNL sketch of Penelope who's always one-upping someone else's story, you know? But here's what's fascinating what I want you to see as we close today. There's no comparison between these two women. 
sit with that for a second. There's no comparison. There's no competition. There's no jealousy. There's no like Elizabeth saying, what in the world? How do you get this? She actually says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come visit me and blesses the fruit of your womb? She like is totally self, like outwardly facing. She's just thinking about what in the world is happening here? There's just a receptivity to one another in all the ways that they were similar, and yet in all the ways they're different. And the reason I point this out is because by the world's standards, relationship like this, relationships like this are normally torn apart by comparison and jealousy. They're normally just shredded. And instead, you see this redeemed, because of the presence of Jesus, sisterly receptivity to one another to do whatever it took to see the other one flourish and be all that God was calling her to be. And this is what redeemed womanhood and redeemed sisterhood is able to provide for a world that's being shredded by power plays and comparisons. Our world is being shredded by that kind of stuff. But a woman, a woman, the sisterly power of a woman who is anchored in Jesus and is able to provide strength out of a place of wisdom and welcome that she's received from God is the power of a redeemed woman, not just to provide strength for other women, but to provide strength for brothers. Brothers. I know it's true for me, and I'll repeat it again, but even every man in this room could say that my life, our lives, are richer And our lives, aren't they brothers? Our lives are more accountable because of the presence of women, sisters in Christ, who have spoken both encouragement and consequence to us. We're better for it. We're absolutely better for it. And so just to say, here's the the jazz hands, big finish, get out of here today, get you to lunch. The church needs sisters. The church needs them. Our world needs them, maybe more now than ever. And what we see created in you, ladies, is the glory of God manifested in unique ways that's not male. It's not male, and we need it. We absolutely need it. And I want you to know just that that the reason all this matters, the reason we're taking three weeks to talk about this is not just so that women can sort of hear about themselves in the church, you know. And last year we gave men three weeks to hear about themselves. That's not why we're doing this, as though it's like some sort of listener base appeasement. And the reason we're talking about this, the reason this matters isn't just because like there's a prophetic opportunity we have to like show off to the world what's different because of the presence of Jesus, although that's there. The reason that this matters is because we're zealous to see everyone in the church, men and women, mature into Christ. That's why this matters. Paul's gonna say this in Colossians 1. He says, him we proclaim, we preach Jesus. Why? Because we wanna warn everyone, men and women, and teach everyone, men and women, with all wisdom. Why? So that we can present everyone, men and women, mature in Christ. I so badly wanna see my wife and my daughters grow up into Jesus. I so badly want the brothers of this church the minute that I want me and my boys to grow up into maturity in Jesus. I want us to recognize and respect the, dim- the dignity that God has given to the sisters in Christ around us. And I'm also passionate about all this. If I'm honest with you, sisters in the room, I just want to like level with you. 
I need sisters. I need your faith. My faith is fed by your faith. My discipleship is fed by your discipleship. Thinking about sisters who are strong in the welcome of God, strong in prayer, strong in mature and Christ-honoring partnership that's void of comparison and jealousy that's just anchored in Jesus and can give from the overflow. Like I need that. We need that. And so here's what's amazing. Everything that Elizabeth and Mary needed for this was in Jesus. They weren't sort of trying to grab for it and like muster it up. Everything you need for life and godliness is in Christ. And for you sisters in the room today, everything you need to grow up into this kind of powerful sisterhood is given to you in Jesus. He would never require something for you he didn't intend to provide. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.